Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, if you haven't listened to the last episode in the feed, it is a rewind episode and it is all about the first season of Star Wars Visions since the new season of Star Wars Visions is out as we speak. And I will probably be talking about that next week because I am going to London on business for like three or four days and I just want to make sure that I have something in the can so I thought that I would release Star Wars Visions and then while I was gone you guys would get Star Wars Visions Season 2 which I'm very happy to announce looks very different than Star Wars Visions Season 1 in a whole lot of ways um, it, but I'll get into that more on during that episode. This episode is going to be a little odd because I just as a person, have been consumed once again by the Avatar The Last Airbender universe since we are playing, since me, Lauren, of the Uncanny Curd podcast, back when me and her were running that, and two other friends of mine are playing a tabletop RPG called Together, and it's, it's four of us. Lauren is actually running the game. Lauren is our intrepid and torturous GM who is doing her best to drag us through the dirt and is doing a pretty good job at it but <laughs> the so we are spending a lot of time in the Avatar The Last Amber in the universe and actually in the most modern version of it which is the Korra version of it so I for the sake of my friend and her running her first TTRPG ever which congratulations to her she's doing a excellent job I kind of just start off like okay we're going to be playing in the Korra universe I might as well watch all of Korra again and that got me in that got me back into it and just out of curiosity I find I had I had the three the Rise of Kyoshi trilogy or the like the Rise of Kyoshi the Shadow of Kyoshi and the and the uh, the rise of Yen Chen. I'm actually on the last book currently, but I wanted to talk about. But I've always wanted to talk about Avatar or something like it. I've talked about Castlevania on this very podcast. You can go listen to that in the feed wherever you in whatever you're using to listen to me right now. But suffice it to say, it's it's a loaded conversation. So, without further ado, what we are talking about this week. It's not necessarily anime, but it sits in the same vein and has an interesting wrinkle to it that actually relates to Star Wars. So this week, we are talking about the extended universe of Avatar The Last Airbender. Anime Considered Now, unless you've been living under the rock for the past, I don't know, at least five years... You've noticed that 
all of the different media companies that used to be at one point just media giants like Paramount Pictures or Disney Pic or Disney Animation or Disney Studios had a weird transition. And that transition went something like this. At first they were movie studios. And then when the time came they were TV channels. And then when the t- and then now the time has come, they've become streaming platforms. Just these like little bins, these giant bins really of content. And they all need stuff that people will keep coming back for. So they're all looking for a infinitely expandable world where they can keep telling stories in that keeps people invested with a combination of world building and nostalgia. And if you've been watching anime for a long time, you know that that doesn't come cheap. It doesn't come easy. Uh, I've talked about it many times on this show before, but there's a real value to having an IP like the best one currently is actually Naruto to build off of because you you end up getting really interesting moments like, once again, this is the thing I always mention in Naruto, is you know how the postal system works in the Naruto universe. That's bizarre. That's just the weirdest. It's just strange. And the reason why it's strange is because there's no... There is... It's a side It's a side episode in Boruto, by the way, that you can go look... You can go find. You can watch Boruto literally deliver mail all over Konoha for a solid 20 minutes. It's super weird. But what that does is it gives you working knowledge in a weird way. And the reason why I mentioned up front that we were talking about that I was kind of enthralled by the Avatar universe is part of it started as just a research thing of like, I knew Lauren was going to ask me questions because she hadn't seen Korra directly. And she had asked me a bunch of questions of like, can this happen? Can this happen? Does this happen? Is this a thing? What's the deal with these things? And I and I wanted to be able to give her those answers. And I did things like I've done a floor plan for our game that we actually didn't end up using, but it was fun to do. Um, because we were getting awfully close to potentially doing a heist. <laughs> in, an in-game heist. So we needed... And Lauren realized once we got inside of a building, she had no real bearings of what, like, architecturally she was dealing with. So she asked me to do a floor plan and gave me a rough description of what it was. Actually, I used the description of what she said in-game. And I gave her a floor plan for, like, a giant 1920s art deco orientalist mansion that had been converted kind of the bottom half has been like converted into like a museum (laughs) but the long and short of it is i was i was spending a lot of time in this universe and i was spending a lot of time in this universe for reasons of researching how to build a character i wanted to fit into the universe and if you've ever done that before if you've ever done that before for an existing universe like not like D&D, but like uh, like Avatar for Avatar Legends, or I'm sure there's a Star Wars, there's, there's a Star Wars um, tabletop role-playing game. You, and even for any tabletop role-playing game, there's a core rule set that you have to abide by, but it 
with an existing universe, you get to do weird things. So my character, character I'm playing as in this game, which you'll probably never, which you'll definitely never hear, because we're not we're doing it for ourselves, not for public consumption. We're doing it for fun. But I play a character named Ko, and Ko is built the like mechanics of how Ko's he's a firebender, and the mechanics of how he works is based on a really weird little comedy throwaway scene from the original Avatar The Last Airbender where Iroh heats his tea by manipulating the heat using firebending and Zuko calls him out and it's a, it's a it's like a little gag moment of like Iroh just trying to have like trying to have something for his old man self and Zuko being like you dumbass and he's like what it's fine no one's paying attention no no one who doesn't know fire Bend it. No one who doesn't firebend would understand what the fuck just happened <laughs> in front of their eyes, unless they were like very keen-eyed and very much understood what the hell. And so I built a character with like a unique form of fighting around that concept. And I like this is a thing that if you knew me, you this would sound totally like a thing I would do anyway. Like I'm. I am totally capable of finding the weirdest, tiniest little detail and making, like, like going full mind palace and making it super weird. But paying attention to all that, like, made me want to pay attention to the stuff I hadn't explored in the Avatar universe. And I, for, and I, just so you know, I... The point at which I started my journey down, which has been a couple days now of listening to the book kind of incessantly because I listened to them on Audible. The way that I... The farthest I've gone up to this point is I've re, if I've seen all of Avatar, The Last Airbender, multiple times. I've seen all of Korra multiple times, like three or four times a piece on those. And I've read the comics at least once a piece. The ones for for the search for Zuko's mother and all that stuff. After the post-Avatar, the last Airbender comics I've read. And I've read the post-Korra ones. But I never read the novels. I never read the what's called the Rise of Kyoshi series. And in reading that, what that basically asks you to do is ask you to step backwards in time to the av- to two avatars essentially kind of four avatars because the way avatar goes is oftentimes you are learning about two or three different avatars in succession like through watching avatar the last airbender the original series you get a ton you get basically all of avatar roku's life story and then through Korra, you get the latter half of Aang's story plus Korra. So you get, so in that set, you get like five, you get like four, you get actually three in that set. Full, like, ranges of this is, of this is the life of these three incarnations of the Avatar cycle. In Rise of Kyoshi, you get 
Kyoshi's avatar cycle from start to finish, but you also get Kurok's avatar cycle kind of start to, more or less start to finish. And then, or like middle to finish, basically. And then in Yang Chen, and you also in, Kor- in Kiyoshi's novels, you get a lot of Avatar, the firebending Avatar, who is like a bureaucrat. A- Avatar like y- Yitzo or something. But you, you, get, you get basically a full explanation of like what he did, like what he did, why he's so great. And he's a very specific, they kind of designed him so you wouldn't want to see what happened. <laughs> like, it would be boring. It would be a lot of, like, accounting, literally, and both figuratively and literally. And then I just, so so yesterday I started in on Yen Chen, on the Rise of Yen Chen book. And that is yet a totally different thing. And actually, the name of the fire avatar I was thinking of it was um, Avatar Sito. And what this what this entirety of stuff has done is it's created this extended universe in the same way that the Star in the best way I can describe it is actually the Star Wars universe. The Star Wars universe encompasses, and I've talked about this before, movies, obviously, animations, animated series. And comic books and books. And and actual novels. And the... The thing of value of that for... And I I started started this talking about this. And I'm going to touch back on this now. The thing of value for companies here is that... It's really hard. It takes a lot of time and effort to build these franchises. That's why you see... HBO struggling to not just give up the ghost on Harry Potter. Like Harry Potter is has taken so much time being built as a universe for not just for companies to sell you stuff, but for stories to be told in. And that's a it's a that's a valuable thing in terms of IP because that takes the one thing that you can't throw money at, and that's time. In order for in order for you to have a world like the legend like the world that you see in Legend of Korra is take took a full took a full four season TV series, comic books, and novels. And then another set of comic books after you were done with the full four seasons of Korra. Uh, the the like infamous thing about Korra though is is that they were the uh, she the team at Nickelodeon was so like overwhelmingly and overjoyed about the success of Avatar because Avatar broke from the like it it was a breakout success is what they would call it at that point and that meant it was so much more popular than just about anything else animation-wise, running on Nickelodeon. Like, Rugrats didn't hold a candle. It was... Avatar was this award-winning, sought-after thing that did stuff at the time that lots of stuff on Nickelodeon wasn't doing. Avatar... Just to give you an idea, Avatar started airing well before they started to do things like 
air Dragon Ball not Dragon Ball not the the cut down version of Dragon Ball Z that was edited for time. Not for content, but for time. I forget what that was called, but there was a specific version of Dragon Ball Z that was edited for like to be more story focused. And that was being that was starting to be played in like the end of the Avatar era of Nickelodeon. But what Nickelodeon did was they greenlit this four seasons of Legend of Korra sight unseen. And the only thing I can describe that would make the most sense as to what happened after they did that was something almost akin to the interspecies reviewer debacle of a couple of years ago. I think that happened in like 2016, 2018. And that was, they didn't know what they were going to get. And what the Avatar team delivered was what they had started to do in Avatar, the original Avatar The Last Airbender show, and they just went as liberal, as left-wing, as progressive, as cosmopolitan as they possibly could have. And they had conversations about, like, free and fair representation of government. They had conversations about discrimination. They had conversations about, like, you know... Civil War, they had like really, they they eventually started killing people on and off screen pretty regularly. Uh, but the, it became too much for the network to bear. And the unfortunateness of Korra is that like Nickelodeon had locked itself into a four season deal that they could not get out of because they were not anticipating this to happen. Not to the extent that, that it certainly did. So Eventually, the last season, the fourth season of Korra, if you've never seen it, actually played exclusively on the web at a time when that was not a regular occurrence. Because they had to broadcast it somehow, but they couldn't, but they like didn't want to put it on TV. And ultimately, one of the reasons they didn't want to put it on TV was because that, that show creates like... One of the first true, one of the first attempts at a same-sex girl-girl relationship in animated, in popular animated fiction. I'm like one of the like it's got a big swing where it's like we can't show them kiss, but you know they kissed. Goddamn! And then, as if to like stick a middle finger to a Viacom executive when that comic book comes out. The like the third panel is an Asami Korra makeout session, and it's just like, oh yeah, that's right. They they wanted to make sure that like you knew like this is what we're doing, and in that way, it was ahead of its time. So when I went to read the Kyoshi novels, the, the forward for the Kyoshi novels is a very specific thing because Kyoshi, since her introduction in Avatar: The Last Airbender. It's kind of known to be this, like, total bad bitch of the Avatar cycle. Her and Yen Chen were kind of seen as being pretty take-no-prisoners. So it was really interesting. It's always been really interesting to me that the 
subjects of these novels were the two ones that were like, you gotta kill the Fire Lord and you 12-year-old. And with both novels, they have done a fantastic job of, at least so far in the Yen Chen one, they've done a pretty fantastic job of showing you the reality versus what recorded history of that universe seems to remember. And here's the reason why Paramount is spinning up a bunch of Avatar projects and why Avatar never seems to go away. It's because it has this that same quality as Star Wars, as probably the least, the one that has this quality the least is Harry Potter. Because Harry Potter's biggest problem is the more you try and stretch it out, the less sense it makes. It, um, the the perfect example of this is a the um, the author is just that's the J.K. Rowling at this point is just like poison that you have to deal with if you want to de do anything in the Harry Potter universe. But also like her answers aren't compelling, and like the. When you start to stare at, when you start to stare at Harry Potter and ask hard questions, the answers aren't great. Like, how does weather bathroom happen? They magic it away with a spell. That's that's disgusting. Like, what? There's a great clip from College Humor with Brendan Lee Mulligan ranting about like, why the fuck? Did anybody ever send anybody a letter using the world's slowest bird <laughs> in a world where you can teleport, where you can use a magic piece of wood and teleport? Like, why would you ever send anybody even a fucking text message? You would just go see them and be like, hey, what's up? Here's the thing. And then go back to what you were doing two seconds later. It's not even a problem. And the fact that, like, that stuff was layered, has been layered in over time, has created these moment, these flaws because the, the, and it's not that the universe of Harry Potter wasn't handled with care. I think that at some point, at least, J.K. Rowling cared about what the, like, fabric of the thing was, and she was trying to build it in a fair and, like, balanced and, like, considerate way. But I think, I, I mean, I'm really certain with Star Wars, but I'm also super certain with, uh, I'm really certain with Avatar The Last Airbender. They had this eye towards the kind of story they wanted to tell. And in both Star Wars and Avatar The Last Airbender, take a lot from Japanese media. That's why you hear... Star Wars mentioned in the same vein as Cowboy Bebop. That's why you hear Avatar mentioned in the same vein as anime in general. Because they're very clearly pulling from the Japanese entertainment like vibe and worldview in many ways. In lots of ways, the Jedi from Star Wars are space samurai. <laughs> the... Anime influences and stylings in any Avatar thing ever is very clear. But 
The problem with something like Harry Potter is that it just, it's like, it's, at some points it's like the notes weren't checked, or at some points, the problem, like, there's a great thing called, when so, that goes, if someone tells you who they are, believes them. And really all you needed to do to, like, know that J.K. Rowling might have been a piece of shit would look at the goblins that run Gringotts, the, like, World Bank equivalent in the Wizarding World. That's an anti-Semitic stereotype. <laughs> There's no getting around it. And the good thing about, certainly, Avatar The Last Airbender, the ostensible subject of this podcast, is that they do a really good job of not only avoiding doing that kind of stereotyping, but being sure to include people from all backgrounds, include people from all walks of life. You know, the the original Team Avatar consisted of two poor kids from the South Pole, of a, a prince who was emotion a prince from a totalitarian regime who was emotionally abused by his like very fucked up father who was the ultimate villain of that show in in the in the world of Zook in the character of Zuko and his and Fire Lord what's his face Fire Lord Sozin not Sozin Fire Lord Iroh it's, no not Iroh Iroh was his uncle but you get my point um but and then you had a literally disabled, and not the kind of disabled you get often, like the, and this is going to sound weird, and I know I'm a disabled person talking about disabled people in media, so take, take, take what I'm about to say with the understanding that I know what I'm talking about. Usually when we see disabled people in media, the disability is something that you can, like, illustrate in some way with a trick of media. That's why oftentimes lately you're seeing a lot of people are deaf in things like the Hawkeye special or any number of things. Even Dragon Prince, a post Avatar project by the same t by many of the same people who made Avatar. They're the character who death in Dragon Prince. But Toph is blind and they like She's not fake blind. She's real blind. And as somebody who used to run a panel on disability, on representation of disability in anime, the one question, like, I used to offer prizes <laughs> that you would get without fail is, what do you think about Toph? And the first time I did that panel, I had a blind person in the front row who there to hear my talk. And, like, before I started the talk, I, like, went to her, I'm like, look, I can tell, like, I'm not trying to be mean. Would you take this question when it comes up? And she, and she, like, looked, she, not, she, like, looked in the direction of me and she's like, yes, I would actually love to do that. Please do. And when that question came up, I would just, like, this is all you, girl. And she would just, the attendant who was helping me for the con hand her a microphone and she just explained it in plain English. I'm like, and that is the correct answer because she knows what she's talking about better than me.
Yo! <laughs> Not every blind person is daredevil! <laughs> as much as people want them to be, motherfucker. But the... So the long and short of it is, is that the reason why I'm talking about the Avatar novels here is because they share something in common with the best, most drawn-out shonen anime, is that they are working with a world of a property that has been built up over, at this point, decades, and is continuing to be built out because Paramount is the weirdest streaming service. Actually, that's not true. Peacock is the weirdest streaming service, but Paramount, close second. Because Paramount made a streaming service after they had, and this was just similar to HBO and, and Time Warner, actually, in the beginning. Like, when HBO Max debuted, it had all the Harry Potter novel, all the Harry Potter movies in one place. And then, after, like, six months, half the Harry Potter movies went to different streaming services and had to come back. Because they had done media deals before the, everything with the streaming service was nailed down. That's what has happened to Avatar The Last Airbender Universe. The current place you can watch all of that stuff, not exclusively, but in the easiest way, is Netflix. You can watch all of Avatar The Last Airbender all four seasons. You can watch all of Korra all four seasons. That I'm not sure how long that deal lasts, but it seems to last for long enough that we're getting a ton, like in the next five years or something, we're getting a ton of new Avatar content. So I thought it was, it was in a rare moment here where I could start the novels, listening to the novels, and finish them and have, con have consumed everything there is to consume since I think one of the things they're doing is they're producing a Rise of Kiyoshi movie or show which will be really interesting because that thing is so progressive and so different than what it's so different than what was even Korra. Like, Korra seems brutal compared to the original Avatar The Last Airbender, but Rise of Kiyoshi novels, like, she just kills people. She, like, the people she just kills. If, and the thing that convinced me to finally start reading these not finally start reading slash listening to these novels, is there's a great TikTok account called Kiyoshiisms, and it is, what if there was a constant running dialogue discussion inside of any one avatar's head from all the other incarnations? <laughs> and they feature, like, all of the incarnations. Like, the audience... The audience... With dissatisfied with the lack of Kuruk in the in the in the in the bits that this account was running, so all of a sudden Kuruk shows up and like starts having like weird, fucked up stuff to say. And the but the the thing about those things once now that I've read the two Kyoshi novels and I'm reading the I'm listening to the um, Yen Chen novel like as I record this not literally right now but I've stopped listening to it I recorded this I will continue listening to it but 
he the person running this account has clearly done the re like they went out and they did the research. This is not just like a gag thing. Like they use specific, you know, character names, story events. They all have like a thing going on. <laughs> and they've done all the research. They are clearly very into this. And they came up with this great idea that's driven by the fact that Kiyoshi is just the most bloodthirsty. <laughs> And largely what the Kiyoshi novels are, they're this explanation for how she gets there, for how she becomes this, like, big old mountain of a woman who is largely hated and derided by people in her time, even though she has quietly kind of kept the peace in the world. Like, the... The de the depiction you get of Kiyoshi is that she is a stone cold murderer in in Avatar: The Last Airbender, and the reality that you're presented with, and the interlude of of the not of the first novel of Rise of Kiyoshi, gives you the gives you a really good thing. It says. The challenge with doing prequels is basically that you know where the character ends up. You know where the story will ultimately go. You have seen you've seen this character in their fully formed thing. So the job of the writer is to make the journey to that, when you get to that, interesting. And maybe go slightly beyond where you saw them last. This does everything except for necessarily going slightly beyond where you saw them last. And it shows you this, the things that lead up to Kiyoshi's worldview. And the best thing I want to liken this to, actually, is... I keep coming back to Naruto, cause it, to the Naruto universe, because it's a good analog for this kind of storytelling, because it's, it's done what... The Avatar universe has also done, which is it's showing the next generation of what a new version of the narrative story looks like with its own unique trials and tribulations. In Naruto, they went through a whole, like, hundreds of episodes. In Boruto, they went through hundreds of episodes to get Boruto out of being, like, the son of the ninja mare and into a scenario in which... You can start to see him understanding why his father is the way his father is. What what his father actually had to deal with growing up. What it's like to be a kid with no parents. With no real attachment seemingly to the village. But also all this attachment to the village. And the long and short of it is, is that this... That's really hard to do, like I keep saying. It takes a ton of time and takes a ton of consideration and awareness. And one of the reasons why Boruto has played out the way it has is they needed to remove... They needed to remove Naruto from the picture to some extent because you can't come down with Ninja God to solve every problem. That gets boring. But yet he still exists. And so they do they do have moments in Boruto where like the adults need to show up and they need to do their thing. But largely it's the kids figuring it out. It's like Boruto and his like classmates 
essentially figuring it out. And in the Kiyoshi novels, the good thing about the scenario setting of the Avatar universe is they're giving you an infinite platform. They, it gives it an infinite platform. If it wasn't done on purpose, I would say it was genius, but I'm pretty sure it was done on purpose. And that is, Avatar can be whoever the hell. There's a, there's a cycle they follow. I forget what the cycle, what the actual cycle is. But there's a cycle they follow. But other than that, they can kind of do whatever the fuck. And at the point at which you meet Kiyoshi, you know stuff about other avatars in the cycle. You know things about Roku. You know things about Korok. You know things about Yen Chen. You even know things about Kiyoshi ultimate, like later on down the line. And this... This, the, the first two novels of the Rise of Kiyoshi series put into, con actually all three of them, put into contrast both, uh, all three. Kiyoshi, Kurok, and Yen Chen. So by the time you're done with, by the time you're done with Avatar the Last Airbender, you have this imp impression of Kurok that he was kind of a lazy piece of shit who didn't do much. By the time you're done with the first two novels for the Rise of Kiyoshi no series, you know that's what it looked like, but not what it was. You know that Korok was dealing with the fallout of Yen Chen's time, and, she would, and he was essentially dealing with the... the fuck-ups that Yen Chen caused. But yet, but when you get to Yen Chen's novel, you see an avatar who seems to have it all together, but is still human. And the really in the most interesting thing about the Avatar series is that they, 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 they stop just... And this is this is true of um, Castlevania, actually, and true of really good shonen. Is if you look at something like, I don't know, like uh, actually the best the best example of this, I think, is if you look at something like Yu Yu Hakusho. Yu Yu Hakusho gives you a great power fantasy, but all, all but if you've seen that entire property, you also know that it doesn't let that show escape reality completely. By the end of Yu Yu Hakusho, Yusuke doesn't have a whole lot to show for the fact that he is, like, history's greatest spirit detective. He, he'd done everything. He's accomplished everything. He, but he also, you know, didn't spend a whole lot of time going to fucking school. So he ends up running, like, a ramen shop. And, like, his relationship with Keiko becomes weird because Keiko has, like, moved on and become a fully functioning adult, and she loves him, but, like, the world is the world, and it keeps spinning. And there's something we said for giving, for giving a fantastical power fantasy, but not letting you escape the, the world of reality and the, and the consequences that can come with, like, power, and the consequences that can just come with living a life. And this the thing about the thing that 
the thing with the first Avatar series, Avatar The Last Airbender, kind of did, but Korra really commits to, is that that power fantasy needs to exist in order for that power fantasy to be kind of meaningful and to have real bite as a story and not just come off like really the latter half of um, the like middle parts of something like Thor on a line where it just feels like, you know, dude bro paced a little bit. Consequences need to happen. Like you need to show the character persevering, persevering through stuff. You know, like when we were looking at what era we wanted to play play in for our Avatar Legends game, initially we were all kind of like not into playing in the Korra era because like that meant that we had to deal with like the thing with Korra. And the thing with Korra, if you've never seen that show, is that poor girl gets annihilated throughout that entire show. Like, every bad thing fucking happened to her. She... She is, like, the uh, epitome of the, like, fucked up Confucius curse that is, may you live an interesting time. Like, her times are real interesting in that she gets mercury poisoning and spends three years in a goddamn wheelchair. <laughs> Like, it's not great. And that's probably the most interesting thing to me. Is like, so much of, like, the f fun of lots of fantasy anime is done as a gag. Like, um, Konosuba is a perfect example. Konosuba is like, what if you were just a shithead in another world? Like, what if you weren't... What if being sent to another world didn't make you straighten out your act? What if you were just a shithead still? You know, same thing with High School DxD. Um, but the... The fun part of Avatar is a lot of the fun parts of anime. And it's why I think about it... I, I think about really the Avatar universe and the Castlevania series from Netflix kind of in the same vein in that they are not anime as they would be traditionally defined and you should not try to pass them off as anime but they are things that you will probably like if you are a fan of anime and the reason why i don't just say like these can be anime too is because the only reason to functionally allow that is not because you want to discriminate against really good animation and that's what, that's what the whole of Avatar The Last Airbender as, as a property has produced. It produced really great animation. And it probably will continue to produce really great animation and entertainment. But the need for people to refer to it as anime, what has happened is on the Netflix side of things, and I don't know if they do this anymore, they spent a period of time trying to sell every animated property as anime. So they could cash in on the niche and they could get people to watch things they wouldn't otherwise watch because like, oh, this is anime. And then when it what when it wasn't, when it had no, when the only thing it had was a passing stylistic reference to it in its animation style, people were inevitably disappointed.
because, and this is like, I don't want to be like the dub sub guy or the like animation, like good animation only comes out of Japan. So don't call, don't call animation out of Texas anime, but that's not what's happening when you think about something like Castlevania. Castlevania is a fantastic piece of animation. So is something like Cowboy Bebop. They're both fantastic pieces of animation. They both come from two different countries. They probably have overlap. They probably, like, the in-between work may be done out of the same studio in Korea at two different times. Or, like, maybe done out of Korea at two different times. But, the reason why you generally hear studios trying to pass things off as anime when they are full Western production is not because those shows aren't good and should be ignored. Those shows are probably very good and should not be ignored. But it's because they want the marketing. When what they could be doing is they could be saying, do you love this kind of thing? Then check this out too. That's a totally valid way to do it. That's, that's the way that if anybody, if anybody's like, hey Alex, what should I watch? You gotta know I'm not gonna give you like a one thing. Like I'm not gonna say like, well, go watch Cowboy Bebop. Everybody loves Cowboy Bebop. Doesn't mean you as a person will like it. You as a person could be bored by it. It could just not be for you. Generally when somebody asks me that, I say, well, what do you like? Okay, you like this. Go watch this. So for example, if you like, if you're one of your favorite movies is Ocean's Eleven, and you really like heist movies like Italian, like The Italian Job, Into Sin Air, you know, o- the Ocean series again, then you should probably go watch The Great Pretender. <laughs> like, like you should just go watch that. It that is what it is doing. If you like, you know. Indie Western weird looks at superhero com- superhero comics, then maybe check out Super Crooks. Also, if you like heist movies, check out Super Crooks. Um, but that's the way I look at it, and I think, and more importantly, I think it's doing things like Avatar or Castlevania, or even something that is like both hated and loved by many people, like Steven Universe, a disservice to just gloss over it and, like, try and shove it in with a medium that it's not a part of. Because there's there's things and ponderances that you don't find in anime in something like the Rise of Kiyoshi novels or the... Or even the Avatar series. There, so, let me put it this way. If you were a huge fan, the cities of, the treatment of Republic City in Korra, I would say you should probably go watch Blood Blockade Battlefront. You would probably have a fantastic time with that show. Because it has the same kind of city as a character element as Legend of Korra. 
But, and reverse is also true, by the way. Like, those two probably go in both directions. But, that's, but like, the way they treat the city in um, Blood Blockade Battlefront is part of what makes that show special. It's part of what makes that show stand out. Oftentimes, you don't get that much attention to the setting of a anime with like quite such granular detail in that they're trying to do they're trying to invoke something that feels so much like the energy of a certain kind of city so for example the energy of republic city in the like vibe of republic city in avatar in legend of korra feels a lot like the vibe of like 1920s Chicago. <laughs> Down to like the local politics and all that jazz. The vibe of Hell Salem's Lot in Blood Blockade Battlefront is straight up like, what if New York? What if weird as fuck New York? What if what if that feeling you have about New York maybe being able to kill you was 100% accurate? What if New York was willing to stab you in the face daily at all times? What if living in New York did not only feel weird, but was as weird as it feels? Like, and as somebody who grew up going in and out of the city and has spent, like, meaningful time, like, in the city... I appreciate that. I've also been to Chicago. Like, I appreciate what they're doing with Republic City in Avatar Last Airbender. But that's not a super common thing in anime, especially now. Lots of isekai. You get very little background knowledge of what the hell the city you're in is. It's just a big, round thing. It, it, it's... It may feel real, but it, what it's doing is it's trading on what you understand about stuff that came before. Even something as kind of detail-oriented as Log Horizon has a lot of holes in it. In its, like, specific world-building of certain locations. In a way that, like... The Avatar universe really prides itself in not, in like, really letting you understand the structure of different locations. Like, when you're in Ba Sing Se, you know what the deal is there. When you're in Omashu, you know what the deal is there. The, by the time you get to the, to Korra, or even the last book in the series that I'm reading now, the Rise of Yen Chen, you know what the deal is with the air temples. Like, you, when they go, when they start the book, Yen Chen's book, in the Western Air Temple, you know everything's upside fucking down. <laughs> You're like, oh, they're in the weird upside down one that's like underneath a cliff. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Where like all the ceilings are actually the floors. Um, because fucked up air temple logistic, like, construction. But, and and I think that just, be, like, packing it off, like, 
mentioning something that takes that much effort in the same breath as like in the same world as my smartphone just does a disservice to or even something that's slightly more detail oriented like shield hero does a disservice to avatar as a property would do a disservice to the world building they try they do in even something like um, Steven Universe. It, it's okay, and I'm going to talk about this later Later on with um, the new season of Star Wars... Of Star Wars... What's it called? Of Star Wars Visions. It's okay for animation, for great animation to come from anywhere. And great anim animation can come from anywhere. There's a whole section of G-Kids films that are not anime films, that are fantastic and award-winning, like The Secret of Kells, like there's a wolf one on Apple TV+. And as somebody who loves anime, I didn't come to loving anime first. I came to loving animation first. Uh, a thing that if you ever spoke to my, to my parent, to my mother she would probably tell you is that my first movie was Beauty and the Beast. And after seeing that movie, I didn't stand a fucking chance. I would, this was always, this was always going to be me. <laughs> I didn't stand a chance after seeing that film for the first time as just the smallest child. And I can still, like, I watch that movie and it feels, like, warm and fuzzy and nostalgic to me. I remember going to the Met exhibit on, like, French artistry's influence of Beauty and the Beast and I was, like, enthralled. I kind of wish I got the exhibit book for that, actually. But the... If for no other reason than I want that fucked up picture, that fucked up sketch of Lumiere before he was finalized, where he would just like, oh, Lumiere used to like, used to be a dirty, dirty motherfucker <laughs> before they made him, before they toned him way down for the screen. And I think that as fans of anime, we owe it to the media to acknowledge when there's just good animation in the world because I don't know if you remember and the new one is coming out on June 2nd I will be in the theater on June 2nd I goddamn swear it to see Spider the second Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse when that came out it hit the world of animation and in particular it hit the world of Japanese animation like a goddamn bullet it was like People were, still are, enthralled by it. There are people who rightfully claim that the scene when Miles Morales jumps off the building starting like the last third of the movie, it's one of the best scenes in cinematography, in cinematographic history. <laughs> That's how good that thing is. The ending of that, the end credits of that movie are, like, the internet collapsing in on itself, taking advantage of all the years of Spider-Man memes that have been, like, existed since the 70s. It's wild. 
And that has gone into that has gone out into the world of animators and the world of art and changed it. And I'm sure there are Japanese animators who have seen everything there is to see of the Avatar Last Airbender universe because it is an incredible feat of using the medium of animation to tell a story and to tell a story that is designed to kind of tell whatever story you want to tell. Like I said, the, the, in the Avatar Kyoshi novels, you learn about really two avatars. You learn two avatars before. You, you learn about the previous two avatars. You learn about Korok, uh, eventually. But initially, you learn about Avatar Sito. And, and the, the, the novel spends a lot of time obsessing over Yen Chen. And the last novel of the, of the pair of the Shadow of Kyoshi novel, where you're done with Kyoshi, and the third one is Yen Chen, basically has Yen Chen show up in like spirit form, be like, yo, you got it wrong, girl. I'm not great. I fucked up super hard. <laughs> You know why the spirits were so pissed off and trying to kill everybody? Yeah, that was my fucking fault. And, like, this, what that makes you realize, but if you think back on what you've seen so far, the... The reason why you learn about uh, um, Avatar Roku so much is because Aang is dealing with the fallout of what Avatar Roku kind of refused to stop. Like he just did, he didn't stop it in time. He didn't put he didn't put a lid on what was starting to happen, and then he died. And so it fell on Aang. Who ran, who ran away from his responsibility because he was a 12-year-old to, to fix it, to, to fix the problem. And then 100 years passed, and the problem that could have been solved in Roku's time became a, like, multi-generational issue. Meanwhile... Same thing happened to Korok. Korok's, Korok had to deal with Yen Chen's fuck-ups. Kyoshi had to deal with Korok's fuck-ups. But as far as near as you can tell, Roku got a clean fucking slate. In, in the, like, recorded history of that world, there's this idea that Kyoshi was, like, a was an avatar who was considered to be a force of nature, but ultimately got nothing done. Yet somehow, out of all the avatars, and I mean all of the avatars, maybe with the exception of Korra, hilariously, she's the one who didn't leave a mess for somebody else to clean the fuck up. Like, yes, there are still organized crime gangs by the time you get to... What's it called? By the time you get to Korra. But that seems 
but that but they are very different from the ones that tried to exist in the time of Kiyoshi. Because Kiyoshi straight up went and found them in the bowels of Ba Sing Se and cracked skulls until they stopped fucking around. Like, and this is what I'm talking about. Like, the, that amount of consideration and that amount of understanding and that amount of respect for your viewer is something that we should celebrate as anime fans, as people who like good storytelling because that's really what people gravitate towards in anime it's, it's a place you can go to for great storytelling and great fantastical storytelling that takes full advantage of the medium of not even anime but a animation as a whole you get things like ping pong the animation you get things like keep your hands off isaac and you get really experimental cool shit that can also use that can use the medium to better to better tell a story. And on that note, I think I've ranted quite enough. If you like this episode, new episodes of the podcast come out every third day and every other Sunday. Third day podcasts are like this. They're more about a single show or property, usually about an anime, not an anime-inspired thing like Korra or like Korra or Avatar The Last Airbender but next next week will be a little bit similar because it will be about Star Wars Visions I want to say volume 2 I don't even want to say season 2 but volume 2 feels right for that so stick around for that and Sunday editions are more metatextual they're more about fandom they're more about fan theory the most recent Sunday edition was the Sunday edition, if you can't hold it, you don't own it. And those come out every other Sunday. So um, check those out too if you're interested in more like metatextual stuff from me. And those actually come out as YouTube videos as well. And I usually include the link to the YouTube channel so you can give those a watch. So you can consume that kind of the way you want. I've been trying to do use visual aids more in my YouTube video version of the channel of the podcast so definitely go check that out on the youtube channel with the link in the description of this podcast where you can also find where to follow the podcast on instagram lunchbox radio underscore podcast and all that fun stuff so until next time i've been alex and this has been lunchbox radio and i will talk to you on sunday <laughs>